Good morning! This is Janet Fielding, Tegan Jabanka from Doctor Who, and you are listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'll see you in the future. Welcome to Too Much Scrolling for December 12th, 2023. I'm Steve Fodor. I'm Chip Hessenflow. We're just a couple of guys sitting around talking about things that are important to us. Hopefully they're important to you. If you need more information, there's so many great ways to find more information. This week, Chip, we are still in that alleyway in between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Happy Hanukkah to everybody who's still celebrating Hanukkah. There's there's very little going on while all of the anticipation, anticipation is building for the fun of the December holidays. Good day, Steve. And good day, sir. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we need. That's what we need. We need we need more Scrooge, Steve. More a, Scrooge in our life. A new Christmas movie. That's what we need. Maybe this week. Maybe we'll get one this week. I think we got a Christmas movie this week. Mm, interesting. <laughs> Brings us to our film at 11, our movie of the week. You went to the movie theater and you saw a kaiju film, Chip. I am so envious. I wanted to go see Godzilla Minus One. All of my friends on social media tell me that this is a wonderful film. How did you like this movie? This is a really good Christmas film, Steve. Merry Christmas. Here's a giant thunder lizard. <laughs> this is an excellent film 75 out of 100 just go ahead and make it right there this is one of the better films i've seen this year this is a reading film steve yeah this is a japanese film in japanese they did not give you a dubbed english version you have english subtitles to read while you're watching your destruction of japan and why this movie i think is so good is that they really understand maybe Japanese culture and they brought us back to the beginning. So, you know, our story takes place right after World War II. Japan is destroyed. You know, we've got our, our lead who basically was a pilot who uh, chose not to complete a, a mission. He's feeling kind of shame. He goes home and finds out his family home is like destroyed. He gets, somehow gets hooked up with this lady who is not his wife and um, who has a baby with, with her um, who is not that person's daughter. Hmm. So we have three individuals who are thrown together and, uh, you know, they're trying to build a life together to kind of reclaim the normalcy of what a family should be. They grow. Um, they become wealthier. They fix their home, as in everyone is kind of fixing their home from this destroyed surroundings, only to have this monster come in and destroy it all again. Hmm. This is a story about post-traumatic stress disorder, all the trauma that you could experience from war, about how it never really goes away, and about moving forward. So how do you deal with the past that you constantly relive? In fact, it, she says something to him at some point that's something very similar to write that. Um, and then 
that next step forward to reclaim, to try to, to get things back um, to normal. We we have the the Cold War uh, just starting at that time. So United States and the Soviet Union. So and we're after World War II. So Japan is limited on the military uh, response that they are able to provide. But the citizens get together, Steve, and they're not going to let civilization fail them. They're going to protect their area. That's good storytelling, isn't it? The the importance of courage and community in the midst of this destruction, not just this monster part. That, that's That's great. I think one of the things that I enjoyed most about it is it wasn't Hollywood. Um, you know, there was no mega, mega, uh, green screen to, to work behind. Um, the storytelling was, you know, pretty straightforward. They really took the source material very seriously. They tightened it up for a current audience. Mm. And I really, as a, as a, a viewer of a movie, I can't stress enough about how refreshing it was to be taken seriously. Wow. They're celebrating the 70th anniversary of the original Godzilla, which was put out in November of 1954. So they, they released this one in Japan on November 3rd, 2023, at the beginning of that 70th anniversary. This is the this is Toho's first live-action Godzilla movie since 2016's Shin Godzilla. So there's there's a lot of culture behind this. There's a lot of history of this studio putting these movies together and telling those human stories with this analogy to these thunder lizards i i think the other thing that's really nice about this is that this is a man in a costume so there was a lot of very practical effects there and i think that was that and, and they're really really good and I think that led to the enjoyment too. We really do have green screen fatigue a little bit. For sure. We're basically watching cartoons. Uh, that's uh, it. We, we're watching animation that looks human and that uncanny valley is still disturbing to me so often. I love practical effects. They're expensive. It is very expensive to put on practical effects shows and it, it just does something for the viewer that is different from that fake green screen. Well, Steve, I'm not the only person that got to go watch something this week. You also got to watch something. Yes, we, we, this is going to become a recurring segment very soon. I got to watch Doctor Who this week, Chip. I, I don't. Okay, so in 10 years of this podcast, I don't usually tell you when I watch Doctor Who because I would list like seven different episodes of Doctor Who every week. But when there's a new episode and a special episode, that's when I get to actually say, hey, Chip, I watched Doctor Who this week. This week, the third part of the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who, The Giggle was released worldwide on Saturday. And boy, oh boy, can RTD put together a story. Just like you were talking about with Godzilla Minus One, we get the story of humanity here. The story this time is uh, the tv history that you might not be aware of the man in england who created the idea of broadcast television with a puppet in the 1920s is 
featured and that puppet becomes uh, an impetus to drive the human race insane. Yes, that's a message, Chip. The message is we look at TV and screens too often and we are being driven mad by all of this information. It's a uh, over-the-top, very obvious message from a TV show. Well, how uh, how enlightening. And Steve, it also looks like it stars Dr. Horrible. Yes, this is Neil Patrick Harris. The multi-talented Neil Patrick Harris shines here. He is playing the maniacal toy maker, uh, a character from the 1960s who has been on the shelf for a long time. Neil Patrick Harris was maybe the only actor who could pull this off. He's doing sleight of hand on camera he's juggling he's doing multiple accents because this is a character who plays all sorts of different parts and yes there's a song and dance number where he sings the spice girls <laughs> in this episode of doctor who is the most fun enjoyable maniacal horrible way and it's it's amazing what Doctor Who has been able to do in 2023. The sheer volume of material that's coming from Bad Wolf Studios and RTD is just staggering. I've just been spent, I've spent the whole week just trying to keep up with all of the information that is coming out of this studio. The official Doctor Who podcast brings us fan reactions and uh, RTD himself appears on every episode to ask questions of the fans and to give information behind the scenes information. He is a big fan. He loves this show as much as I do and getting that energy from the creator of these stories has been amazing. There's been new videos on the doctor who YouTube channel almost every day. And you know, I don't like YouTube, but almost every day I'm on YouTube now to watch the doctor who material that's coming out. Uh, we get a lot of surprises in this episode. I'm not giving any spoilers, but those of you who love doctor who and love storytelling in the 21st century, you will love this episode. The giggle has so much going on. Uh, and, and a lot of, uh, a lot of over the top political messages about anti-vaxxers and uh, the simple folly of the human ego uh, is presented in this episode. So thinking through who you are in representation of uh, this alien is uh, something that makes me smile. <laughs> the 15th Doctor will return on December 25th, uh, Destination Christmas. That's That was the final two words of this episode. I look forward to pausing Star Wars for an hour to watch Doctor Who on Christmas. <laughs> Brings us to our book it, our book of the week. We we see so many great people. We get a chance to talk to so many great people over the last 10 years, Chip, and to go to galaxies far, far away sometimes. Isn't it wonderful, Steve? You know, one of the things that I've always uh, wanted to learn more about is maybe some philosophy behind Star Wars. 
So yeah. tell us. Uh, oh yeah? yeah, yeah. Oh, this is the character you're going to present today. Is you love philosophy and Star Wars? Okay, Chip, go on. <laughs> so we were uh, very lucky to meet Stephen Kent, and he wrote a book about how the Force can fix the world, and it was published in 2021. And so, you know what we should do? We should probably bring him on. Stephen Kent, author of a philosophy book about Star Wars, joins us this morning. Good morning, Stephen. Hey, good morning, guys. <laughs> this is a, an ongoing conversation that you're getting in the middle of, Stephen. So I hope you are ready for the philosophy that is Chip Hessenflow. I put myself in these conversations. I've done it to myself, so there will never be any complaining. It's a real privilege. So you are an amazing person. You have done so many things. You created a podcast called the Beltway Banthas, and you're currently doing a project called Geeky Stoics. Tell us about Geeky Stoics today. Yeah, geekystoics.com is a Substack, YouTube, Instagram, just general uh, channel that is all about finding the life lessons within our favorite great stories. Now, great is subjective, but what I mean when I say great is the big modern myths, the stuff that transcends hashtag content in 2023. So think Star Wars. Star Wars is still bigger than hashtag content. Um, think Lord of the Rings. Think certain elements of Marvel comics beyond just, you know, the constant shows and the churn. So this channel is all about going, all right, these are the stories that make people tick today. They get people's attention. What can we find within them that is worth holding on to, grabbing some values, some fables, some lessons from these stories that we can talk to one another about, teach our children about? Um, because in every you know century, parents and children have certain stories that they're able to talk about together. And I think in our century, those are the ones, the big, great stories, Marvel, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, you name it. Doctor Who. Sure. For for some of us, Steve. For some of us. <laughs> and for others, Harry Potter. So uh, but, that, that, that's a that's a great one. And that's that one I missed. Yeah. Harry Potter. <laughs> well, let's start off about this book. So tell us about your first memories with Star Wars. My first memories of Star Wars are not in the theater and not on a couch watching the movies, but I actually just have these broken kind of memories in my mind from when I was roughly like eight, seven years old and playing with Star Wars action figures with my younger brother in Chatham County, North Carolina, uh, our home right outside of Durham. And there was just this dirt hill outside the house. And I just remember playing with the Return of the Jedi era figures and just we were playing like King of the Hill, like who could keep their toys on top of the hill. And most of our stories and our plot lines for Star Wars came from play, make believe, doing costume um, and then just running around, you know, the woods near our house uh, with lightsabers. That for me is kind of where Star Wars is the most emotional and begins. Uh, but then I, I do know that my first real viewings of Star Wars were the 1996 re-release for VHS for the original trilogy, uh, the gold box set edition. Those are the tapes that when I think of my childhood, I think of wearing out those tapes. Uh, and then, you know, for theaters, my, my memories begin with uh, episode two and three, really. Wow. It's so interesting to think through how 
those entry points change your perspective on what these stories are as a gen x uh, older yeah. uh, person i have a very clear memory of those 1970s those those stories that the myth of this whole thing is what you are focused on in this book right yeah it is you know this is a story star wars that unites four five generations of people all over the world uh, I, I have an anecdote in, in my book, How the Force Can Fix the World, that like it's more likely that if you walked up to somebody on any random street and showed them a portrait of Princess Leia and a portrait of Thomas Jefferson, that they would correctly identify Princess Leia. That's not necessarily a good thing for a civic culture, but it does give us something that we have that is shared and culture. Society cannot exist without shared things. Uh, Star Wars is one of those things. I love that you have grandchildren and now grandparents, you know, who both have Star Wars stories to tell. That's crazy. And that is worth fighting for, saving and preserving within ourselves. Um, you know, one of the things that Star Wars fans will always talk about is that, like Star Wars has been ruined. It's George Lucas killed it with the prequels. Now Disney's killing it again, but supposedly it was already dead. So, <laughs> you know, so I, I'm just a big believer in protecting it within yourself and then sharing the stories that you love with people that you love. Um, that's yeah, what Star a, Wars I'm, is all about. I'm going to add a little bit. One of your forwards. Um, one of the gentlemen who wrote, he said, Star Wars is the closest thing we have to a modern Arthurian legend. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about that part. Yeah, well, Ben Dominich, you know, wrote that that introduction to the book, and he's a real big lover of classic fairy tales. And, you know, when you think about Arthurian legend, uh, King Arthur and, uh, um, you know, the Knights of the Round Table, like basically what we're talking about here is four primary life lessons that those stories teach. Uh, I'll focus on two of them, that great destinies can befall completely insignificant people. And there's also a, a principle within those stories that those with power should protect those without power. Mm. Uh, Star Wars absolutely adheres to these two things. In the very least, the Jedi themselves are you know, those knights, they are the powerful who bring justice and peace and a little bit of order to the galaxy. They go after evildoers and they, in theory, are supposed to protect people who are victims of injustice. Uh, but then you also have the hero's journey at the heart of Star Wars. The idea, again, that great destinies can befall the seemingly insignificant people. You know, that small things like Baby Yoda can be the hero of a certain story. Um, and a Mandalorian who's never done a good thing in his life for anybody but himself can also become a hero. Uh, and the farm boy, of course, becomes a Jedi. So that's what our theory and legend is, I think, getting at. And that's what Star Wars does for us today. And, you know, using pop culture like Star Wars, how does it discuss you know, our values, the philosophy that we have in life. I don't know how it doesn't. I these these stories are so chock full of tiny little moral lessons that you you grab onto at the earliest age as a, as a child. I'm just going to think for me like one specific example is I never forgot, and I took like mental note of the end of Return of the Jedi when uh, Emperor Palpatine. Uh, 
urges on Luke to strike down his father and join him by his side and become a new ruler of the galaxy. And Luke throws down his lightsaber and says, I'm a Jedi like my father before me, and he's willing to just die instead. Um, I, I was watching that. I mean, I was only eight years old, but I was watching. And just like parents or just like children watch their parents and they are subtly, quietly taking notes and they never let you know. Uh, that's what our movies do for good or for evil. Uh, our movies are teaching kids stuff. And Star Wars continues to teach us these kinds of lessons that we then apply to who do we want to be when we go out into the world. Um, I can give you a lesson for every single Star Wars movie that there is. Uh, but that was the one that you know stood out to me when I was young. I like how your book... Um, the chapters are divided on some of the the takeaways that we should see in the movies. And one of those is humility. And how does Star Wars help us understand humility? My favorite anecdote for understanding humility through Star Wars is actually in Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace. Uh, you basically have a situation where a peaceful planet, Naboo, has been invaded by kind of a corporate army. They are being occupied. And the Queen of Naboo goes back to the Senate and Coruscant, and she's looking for help. She can't get it. They can't get an intervention from the UN of Star Wars. And she goes back home, and she needs a new plan. And this young queen, a child, she is 14 years old uh, in this movie, she has something that you know her advisors at the high levels of Naboo would have highly discouraged, which was they are going to go to their sworn enemies on Naboo, the Gungans, the fish people who live underneath the water. They're basically like the Native Americans of Star Wars. They were they were on the surface before the human beings arrived on Naboo, and they were pushed underneath the water uh, by colonization on the planet. They hate each other. And she goes to the Gungans, and she kneels before them and she says, you know, I humble myself before you. We need your help. And there's this really great response from the leader of the Gungans where he says, Yusa, no, thank you, greater than the Gungans. And that was like the thing that he wanted to hear. You don't think you're better than us. And then you realize that their entire cultural rift was basically just that of people who live in rural America versus in the cities. The the hatred, the enmity is coming from a place of each side thinks the other is looking down on them. It's hugely corrosive. And just the power of annealing and saying, we live in both equally great societies, I need your help. It can change hearts. Uh, and that is a story of humility. That's great storytelling. The The ability for these myths to give us that mirror of what's happening is my favorite part of your book. My The idea of the darkness of our perspective and how we can shine the light of hope upon that is something that I took strongly from Star Wars. And you write about that very, very well in this book. Thank you. No, I, I appreciate that. Um Star Wars is a perspective tale where fear is feeding on different characters in different ways. Almost every Skywalker and then in the, the sequel trilogy, Ray experiences this as well. Sort of this sense of their fear, their doubts, their uncertainties preying upon them and then warping their perspectives. I think a, a good example of that is when Luke 
uh, goes into the cave on Dagobah in episode five, and he encounters the apparition of Darth Vader. What we know now from like Star Wars comics and shows is like that's a dark side cave, and the dark side caves manifest your greatest fear and it require you to face them. And the, the cool thing in that moment is that Luke faces this Darth Vader apparition thinking it's real. He cuts his head off, the mask explodes, and underneath the mask is his face. Mm -hmm. And then you realize the fear is not Darth Vader. The fear is I could become Darth Vader. The fear is if I am not careful, the dark side could eat me whole. Um, and just as much as that is a perspective tale and kind of giving you a sense of sometimes your fears are not what you think they are or that thing that you're angry at you're not angry you're sad hmm. uh, emo emotions sometimes can trick us and you know it's like when we're angry there could be grief underneath that, that we actually need to sort out so that's one of my favorite things about star wars and the way that the dark side tricks people and that's why i started geekystoics.com because that's what stoicism by and large is teaching is questioning those perceptions and those impressions that the world gives you and trying to search for what is really underneath uh, your waves of emotion and stuff like that and adding to that the the idea of empathy and truly caring about others is illustrated in the movies as well why is that important to your stoic viewpoint oh gosh i mean i'm I'm trying to think of like an answer for the stoic viewpoint, but I'll give you a civic one. Um, you can't have a civil society and you certainly cannot have a liberal democracy that we all enjoy living in for the most part uh, without a, a culture of empathy. You have to be able to see humanity in your neighbors, people at the polls and people on your television saying things that you don't like. Um, because if you don't, well, then there are countries in the world where uh, they live differently. And, you know, there are constant micro genocides in those countries and civil wars and violence. And obviously things are not perfect here, but here we, we look at each other and we go, we are Americans. You are my neighbor. You are a Democrat. You're a Republican. You're a libertarian. We are Americans. Uh, so empathy is just very important. You have to be able to see that we are in this together in some way. Star Wars teaches this. I think we mentioned like the masks, right? What is beneath the mask? It could be me that I'm, I, I see underneath the mask. We learn that Darth Vader is a human being, not more machine than man. That's very important to Luke's arc to become a hero, realizing that, you know, this guy is actually my father. Therefore, I love him and I want to save him. Mm -hmm. um, but then I, I think one of the big ones is in the, the sequel trilogy. Uh, similarly, um, Kylo Ren. Uh, Ray thinks that he is also kind of a monster underneath his mask. And then he pops his helmet off and he actually is a, a, an attractive young man. And she's like, oh, oh my goodness. I don't know what to do here. You kind of see it in her eyes. She like bats her eyes like, what? You're human. Uh, because sometimes we just think that our enemies are not like us, but they often are. Uh, and that's really, really hard. But it also is what heroes do. Heroes have to learn this lesson to go on their journey. And to look inward in that stoicism piece, to think of mm -hmm. your own masks and to think of your own motivations. No, absolutely. So when we when we watch Star Wars, I mean, obviously we're going to all these planets and exotic locations. So tell us a little bit about 
how Star Wars encourages us to be tolerant of other peoples and other areas. Mm, so many examples. Uh, gosh, from the, the very beginning, you know, with Star Wars in the, the cantina in episode four, New Hope, you know, from the droids not being welcome in the bar. It's kind of funny, you know, like this is a technologically advanced society. And for some reason, they don't <laughs> they don't want droids in the bar. Has the story ever explained that for you? Do we know why they have this this immediate uh, racist look at oh, those are droids? They're not allowed in here. So I, I I would bet that they have, but I don't know where. It's probably like in a book or a comic or something like that. But uh, no, they haven't really. Um, you know what we can intuit is that uh, droids just you know are a damper on the mood, maybe in a bar where humans and aliens are all roughing each other up and drinking. Uh, we ha we learned in the Mandalorian TV series that there are droid bars. Uh, so there are bars where specifically droids go to get like drunk on oil, <laughs> which is <laughs> hilarious to me. Uh, but, you know, another kind of more practical story is the differences between how Han and Leia interpret the Ewoks when they are on indoor. Uh, Leia immediately does not have like a I'm in danger. I'm afraid of you. Are you going to kill me reaction to the Ewoks? She's just like, stop poking me with this stick um and she immediately befriends them and they see in her also not a threat not someone dangerous but they don't have that reaction to han solo who is always looking for a fight he's very suspicious uh and he looks around when he's being surrounded by the ewoks like okay i'm gonna have to kill some teddy bears today um you know and that's that's a little bit of an empathy tale but uh, by and large, I think you just see like you come across alien creatures, people who don't look like you. Uh, you might be inclined towards fear. You might be inclined towards fascination. There's a lot of conversation in the Star Wars universe about our individual choices and how those thoughtful choices bring about <laughs> enormous change in the Star Wars universe. How can we take those tales and use them to help others make thoughtful choices? Hmm. Gosh, there are so many choices that get made in Star Wars, starting with Luke Skywalker and his vision that Han and Leia are being harmed in Cloud City, and he decides to end his training and go help them versus staying and, and becoming a, a more powerful Jedi with Yoda. There's Anakin Skywalker, similar. He has visions of, of death and dying. And then he makes a bad choice to try and go stop those things. And it only brings him closer to the dark side. But I'm going to give you a contrarian favorite of mine, which is uh, Rey in uh, the sequel trilogy and her realization in The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, not, not a great star wars movie by by my metrics but she learns that she is a palpatine she learns that she comes from a legacy of evil and she thought she was ray nobody she thought you know her parents were just regular everyday people it turns out she's the granddaughter of a psycho killer and a sith lord and she has a little bit of a crisis of uh, self-perception and faith in that moment it really hurts her to know that i think it would hurt me to know if i were the descendant of someone incredibly evil and she has a choice in that moment between is she going to cede to her legacy or is she going to make a new one and chart a new path? There's a great 
passage in Seneca, Letters from a Stoic, where he's talking about uh, becoming the person that we want to be. And I'm going to just do it paraphrase, but Seneca talks in his writings, this is ancient Rome, of course, uh, that Mm -hmm. we all have the choice of whose children we will be, Uh, who we study, who we follow as a role model, they become our parents in a sense. And Seneca goes another step further. He says, take the name of the people who you admire, live in their name, embody it, and live up to it. And I'm kind of obsessed with this because she chooses to be Ray Skywalker in the end. Uh, there are a lot of fans who kind of like bristled at that. And they're like, you can't be a Skywalker. That's a royal bloodline. Well, you know what? I, I'm going to defer to Seneca on this and say it's aspirational. You say, I want to be a Skywalker. This is who I am truly inside. I'm not a Palpatine. So ditch that name and be somebody better. I think that's a beautiful thing. And honestly, that's that's the American dream, <laughs> you know, of rediscovery and, and building a new life. So uh destiny, you shape it. Wow. Well, you really hit it right there. That is the American dream, is that so many people come from anywhere they came from and they have decided that the United States is going to be the place that they wish to live, and they get to choose how they want to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do they want to be, um, you know, American because, you know, or do they want to develop something? Do they want to um, teach something? You, you really, it really, it's such an open world mm-hmm. view where in many parts of the world, you were, you were, you were born to mm-hmm. a, a person with a particular skill. Yeah, a cast, maybe. That is, <laughs> that is your destiny you, mm-hmm. you have to you have to be the miller or steve says i want to work with the ale i want to work with the beer that's right and <laughs> you know and, and i mentioned cast like you know, within the caste system there are names that are indicative of where you belong in society uh, one of my my friends cat uh her heritage is is within within india and um you know her last name is indicative of a certain caste and to change your name to marry out of it you know, there are some like social taboos there. You're supposed to stay in uh, certain lanes. And that is absolutely a legacy that is all around the world. Um, you know, change your name, uh, pick up a different legacy that you want to be a part of. I, I just, I think that's what uh, living an aspirational life is all about. I, I remember my dad, well, not, I don't say I remember, he's still with us, but my dad uh, has always called me Skywalker. Uh, he, you know, it's like when he gets on the phone with me, he's like, Hey, Hey, Skywalker, how you doing? Um, and he doesn't, that's, that to me is like, he is saying you are, you know, this, this kid who's a farm boy trying to become a Jedi. Um, and I think of myself that way. Uh, we all do. We're on a journey. Um, so I'm a Skywalker and if I'm a Skywalker, Ray can be a Skywalker too. It doesn't offend me. Fantastic. What, what what great thinking that you have put into the thoughts of this myth that we have 
brought into our pop culture, especially uh, certain certain from a certain point of view, certain yeah. members of this podcast who really have embraced this myth and and made it a part of who we are and the philosophy of all of that. Where can we find more from you? I am totally intrigued by you and your voice and your writing. Where can we find more from you? Yeah, the, the best place to to follow what I'm doing is at geekystoics.com. It's a Substack newsletter. It is free. Uh, you just punch in your email and then you'll get a message from me every week. I've got one going out tomorrow. Uh, and then you can learn about what we're doing on YouTube as well. Uh, me and my partner, Riley Blanton, are making videos kind of diving into some of these stoic and philosophical messages, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Marvel. Right now, we're really on a, a Lord of the Rings and Star Wars kick. So there'll be more down the line, but geekystoics.com is where to get involved. Stephen Kent, thank you so much. The book is called How the Force Can Fix the World. It was published in 2021. Scroll with it. Brings us to our scroll with it. There's plenty of things happening in the world. Let's talk about almost none of them. Boy, oh boy, Chip, we need to talk about AI again this week. Well, AI seems to be everywhere, Steve. <laughs> Yes, yes. Welcome to my world where innovative technology meets the frightening possibilities of technology. Hey, kids, have you heard about AI? Our future overlords seem to be busy writing articles for Sports Illustrated and somehow got caught. This is a story. This this story makes me smile because they got caught. Not only did they get caught using AI to generate articles for Sports Illustrated, but they got caught and deleted everything. They didn't admit to it as far as I know, right? Uh, they didn't admit to it. But here's these were fake writers with fake bios um, who are writing in a very you know AI way, which is on one level amazing, on another level, you know, frightening. Yeah. I, I shouldn't say frightening. Frightening is a bad word. Well, but anyway, it, certainly, uh, and then, you know, when real writers found out about it, yeah, you know, immediately corporate says, whoa. And and pulls all of that material. The the idea of AI is on one level frightening, but on the other level, it's a tool. How are we going to use this tool? Very much like when we got Google, how are we going to use that information to go into the future of this? And, and in fact, the North Carolina State professor, um, one of, I think his exam was to take AI and the students were to pull their answers from AI and they spent time editing it. Mm -hmm. The idea of do you know your material? Mm -hmm. So the AI is pulling it. You know, you could find things that are wrong and then, you know, tighten it up, correct it, any number of things. I think that may be a way that we use AI in the future. Very much like the way that we've used Google in the past. Finding the information is step one, but how do you use it is, is the question. But how do you judge whether it's real? I mean, uh -huh. imagine going on a map and, you know, you're going from here to wherever you're going. But, you know, all of a sudden you're drifting further and further away because you don't have enough relevant knowledge to know like, oh, there's something there's something off about this. I always use the analogy of mathematics here, because when we give students a calculator, we need to know that they know how to do the math 
first. If we give them a calculator in kindergarten and say, punch in these numbers and you'll get the answer. And they don't know if it's the right answer or not. If they have no way to guess what the right answer is going to be before they use the tool, they might come up with the wrong answer and never, ever know that it's the wrong answer. That's AI for me. If we are feeding it bad information, we're going to get incorrect answers. Well, you know, the holidays are here, Steve. And then we go through January, which is um, a dark and bitter place. Yeah. And it looks like that Disney has a proposal for us. Yeah, the writer strike and the SAG actor strike are certainly going to change movies and TV shows for the next few years. And one thing that studios are doing to try to give us material to watch in theaters and on TV is going back to the well of some of that material that was released previously. Disney is going to release their COVID era movies in theaters for the first time. January, we're going to see the release of the movie soul they're going to release turning red in february finally remember the the controversy on that one was the people who made that movie were frustrated that that movie was not being given a theatrical release and then we get luca in march have you seen all three of these disney movies chip well my name is luca i live on the second floor i live upstairs from you yes i think you've seen me before Steve, I, I've seen all three of these films, um, and they were they were streaming on Disney Plus certainly during COVID, and that's a very different experience. Most of us don't have I don't know incredibly large screens. I mean, we have large screens relative to history, right? But television screens and movie screens are different, and the experience is different. And being in a in a group and seeing this movie in a theater gives us a different experience. We've talked about this over and over again the last few years as that experience has changed. Uh, the other thing that we have talked about over and over again is people don't know how to be in an audience anymore. The, the individual viewing that we did on so many things for so long, people don't know how to be in an audience. I don't know how these are going to be accepted, you know, three, four years after their first release. Will people go see these movies in the theater together? Maybe, maybe. I mean, you do have them available on Disney Plus, and if you had Disney Plus at the time, you will have seen them. But it's always important to know that we have young people who have not seen these. And usually January, February, March are slower times for films, mm -hmm. but a great time to go see a film. Hmm. Interesting. It is going to be interesting to watch what studios are going to do to fill this hole in their schedule, for sure. Sure. We want to thank Stephen Kent for coming in and talking about his philosophy of Star Wars, how the Force can fix the world, the philosophical thinking of Star Wars, Chip. Star Wars. I think he's a, a Jedi, Steve. He might be a Jedi. He might be a Jedi. Uh, he's He's got the hood. <laughs> I don't know, Chip. I think we have enough information to survive another week. What do you think? Only if we can come back next week, Steve. I think we can. We would love to hear from you. Give us a call or a text. Our phone number is 805-4104-TMS. Our website is toomuchscrolling.com. Our email is toomuchscrolling at gmail.com. We're on all the social medias. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and YouTube. And you can always ask your smart speaker to play the latest episode of Too Much Scrolling. I want to thank you again for listening to Too Much Scrolling. I'm Steve Fodor. I'm Chip Hessenflow. We'll see you in the future. Good day, sir. 
good day.